Good evening, everyone. Our <clears throat> lesson will begin uh, with just a reference to in Genesis 25. If you want to look in Genesis 25 there in your Bibles uh, for a bit, that will be one of the references we look at. If you are lucky enough in your life uh, to have um, a truly supportive friend, uh, you will have a friend now and again that will tell you whenever you are faced uh, with life's challenges or whenever you're upset uh, by the things that are going around you, somebody will always, uh, a very good friend will tell you, you know what, it's all in your head. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's, uh, that's what a really good friend will tell you. Uh, we don't like to believe that. We don't like to, uh, we don't like to think that that's true. We like to believe that our challenges are the, uh, the greatest challenges of all. And that, um, that other people just don't seem to understand them. But the fact of the matter is, is that it is arguable that many, if not most of the challenges or the things that anger us, the things that frustrate us in life, are indeed all in our head. And when we look at Genesis 25, I think we see probably my favorite illustration of that. In Genesis 25, and you know the account well, in verse 29, it says, Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me now. And so he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. The implication of this passage is that what we're looking at here, at best, is a hard day's toil. Um, Esau probably awoke from a restful sleep that morning and went out and worked, and it was probably very challenging, very difficult. There were many frustrations, many challenges uh, that were that he was faced with. And at the end of the day, he was all spent. And he just figured that was the worst day ever. And if he didn't get some kind of a a rest or some kind of a relief from that, why, he was just going to die. Now, a lot of scholars say this is pretty typical behavior because at this point, they believe Jacob and Esau were still in their teenage years. It's interestingly enough. And uh, I always tell the teenagers in my school, I was telling them, I said, I don't know if anybody ever tells you guys this, but you overreact to everything. And they kind of laugh about that, but they know it's true. Uh, overreaction is the case here. So they were both uh, arguably young men. And Esau was plagued by something that was obviously just all in his head. Now, is everything all in your head? Well, no, it's not necessarily a hard and fast rule. Um, But certainly, it can shed light on the fact of why we often get frustrated. And as an accompaniment to this morning's lesson, I wanted to bring this out because it can also 
explain uh, why many of us react to things the way that we do when we shouldn't react to them at all. Because a lot of the things that challenge us are indeed in our head. Now, there are a lot of people that say that this generation has a big problem, right? And I think that everybody that was in any generation uh, beside this one would agree uh, on similar terms that what's wrong with the generation is that people never really reach their potential. That was said of my generation. That was said of the generation coming up behind me. It's probably said of your generation, the generation before you, the generation after you. There's always someone complaining uh, that a generation is not reaching its potential. And nowadays, there are jokes everywhere about millennials, right? Uh, millennials want everything handed to them on a plate. They don't. They hate the idea of work. They hate the idea of of sacrificing. But the fact of the matter is that each generation has had its own problem. And the fact is no one lacking the desire to, uh, to progress reaches their true potential. And that's because these are things that can be conquered by the mind. These are things that are indeed all in our head. Things that we need to address. Things that we need to think about. Uh, things that we need to constantly study on so that we don't make the same mistakes over and over again, which we have been doing as generations. And so if you look in your Bibles real quick, please, to James, the first chapter, I'd like to read there. In James 1, 12 through 16. Blessed is the man, James writes, who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when I am tempted, I am being tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then... Desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. We've read about James before. And James knows about sin. We had a study in John recently, and now we're in Acts in the morning class, and we read there that James's brothers spent some time chiding him, uh, Jesus' brothers, spent time chiding him of whom James was one of them, making fun of him for who he was. And James knows what that's like, and James knows how the mind can defeat us to be things and to allow us to do things that we shouldn't be doing. And so we are plagued, really, by choices that we have to make. That's really our plague. It's all in our head. We get to choose to be mediocre. We get to choose to be spiritually weak. We get to choose to sin. And these are all supposed to be signals to us that the flesh is winning the war for our mind. To which the trophy is the the human soul, the everlasting soul. 
And James is very clear here. He says, don't think that the problem is God. Don't think that the problem is any outside force. Whenever these things happen to us, whenever we feel spiritually weak, whenever we feel mediocre, whenever we feel we are tending to be sinful, it's all in our heads. James paints a a perfect picture for us in this passage that we're just like that fish that can't resist the worm on the end of that hook. As one brother once said, if I put a piece of broccoli there, would that fish go after it? You know, no. Uh, The fish likes worms. Or you can put fish eggs over there. You can put something that stinks really bad. And that, that fish goes crazy for it. You put something that would be otherwise good, and that fish isn't going to be interested. And so this is what James is telling us. This is the way that we are. Satan knows what bait works best, in other words. He knows how to make the right environment. He knows how to put us in just the right place at the right time for him. And we have to remember that he, too, is a fisher of men. Just like the apostles were, just like Jesus promised them they would be, and they turned out to be fine fishers of men. So Satan is very good at what he does. And we allow those desires that we have to distract us from God. And that's the whole point of it. That's the whole point of the bait. That's the whole point of the hook. Whenever we are guilty of lust, we can't blame our spouse. You know, I cheated on you because they're better looking. You know, that, that's, that's what people might think. and That's what people might say. That doesn't make any sense. That's the loss of your mind. If I get angry at somebody else and I lose my temper, it's not because of their actions. It's because I don't have control of my temper. Whether something is worthy of anger, or what we would call righteous indignation or not, uh, we have control over that. And the Bible teaches us again and again that we have control over that. If you turn with me to Ephesians 4 there, and look in verses 18 and 19 with me, Ephesians 4, 18 and 19. Notice what, what Paul writes regarding those who are the Gentiles, who are away from God, who do not know God. Look at what he says there in verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Paul's very clear. Look, that's all happening inside of them. Their minds have become futile. Their understanding is dark. They're ignorant. They've allowed their hearts to become hard. They've become callous. And so they've given themselves over. Look at the the way he says that. The language that he uses. It's all in their power. It's all in their head. And they willingly give it up. Because they do not consider the enemy. As we should. As James uh, points it out. As Paul points it out here. 
We read in Hebrews 2, verses 14 through 15, that when Jesus was crucified, he made Satan's power void in this world. What an incredible victory. I don't ever have to worry about death. You don't have to worry about death. Jesus Christ conquered death. He conquered the power of the one who had the power over death. And he made that power void. And not only did he made that power void, he took it over. He controls it. He showed by his death who Satan really was. A charlatan. A false person. A false thing. A facade of power. And he showed true power by being able to conquer the power that Satan had. And we look at that and we think, man, that is incredible. That is awesome. And when we read of that, we might read of that and lull ourselves into some kind of a a false sense of security. I don't know. Because we get to the point, I think, when we don't realize that he's still powerful. Satan can still play with our minds, isn't can't he? He can still set traps. He knows what kind of willful creatures we are. And if you look in 2 Corinthians, the second chapter there, verses 10 and 11, notice what Paul's character is there in 2 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11. Notice his, his absolutely compassionate, uh, deferring personality. He says, anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. If you don't hold a grudge, I'm not going to hold a grudge. That's what Paul says there. If you if you show the love and the compassion to forgive somebody, why I can be able to show the compassion to forgive and love somebody. And notice what he says. He says, indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. Now notice what he says there in verse 11. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs. Paul says you and I can be outwitted. Where does that happen? It happens in the mind. Have you ever played a game at your house with your family? It's a game that everybody loves. And you just kind of set your wits against each other with it. Somebody loses and they go, oh, you know, I almost had it. You know, and then somebody manages to just eke by or somebody just wipes you out and everybody laughs. You know, you didn't have a chance to begin with. They just, they just took the game and they ran with it. It was done. And we look at that and we look and we kind of have fun with that. But the fact of the matter is all that happens in the mind. All of it. We see the the victories in those kinds of situations. And we might say to ourselves, I could have done better. I knew that. I could have seen that coming. But I didn't. And it's simply because somebody outwitted you. And it's frustrating, isn't it? It's frustrating to have somebody else outwit you. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. Life becomes frustrating for us with regard to righteousness and faith because Satan is just outwitting you. You're not careful, I'm not careful with our minds against the deceiver. Our life, our hope of everlasting life, 
and this is a, a, a eye-opening idea for me anyway. I hope it will be for you too. Our, our whole life is a battle of wits. We're constantly doing that. It's us against the dark deceiver. It's us against the father of lies. And we will either just be frustrated and allow him to outwit us, or we're going to have to engage him so that we don't lose everything. If you go with me to Ephesians, please. To Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians 6, let's read there. Particularly Ephesians the 6th chapter and the 12th verse. In Ephesians 6 and 12, Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's funny, this happens every time there are, there are votes to be had and every time there are elections to be had and people always want to know, who are you voting for, right? They may ask you that and they may ask me that. My answer is simply this. I vote based on my faith. I know I don't have great choices. <laughs> I've never seen an election where I had a great choice. And I know that there are people that vote based on their wallets. And we talked about that this morning. That is foolish. Based upon who will give us the best, uh, the best advantage with regard to wealth and money and opportunity. And some of us may take votes based on politics themselves. But for me, it's very simple. I will choose the one that's as close as I can get to what the scriptures say a people should be governed by. And that's hard. (laughs) That's difficult. Because sometimes it's one and sometimes it's the other. And it's not something that you can narrow down, but the fact of the matter is, that's the life that we are living. We're living a life that's a battle of wit. We are fighting against powers that we cannot see. We are fighting against principalities in heavenly places. We are involved in a spiritual battle. And it's not going to be one sitting in a pew. And it's not going to be one sitting in a house. It's going to be one engaging that adversary in that battle of wits so that something can be changed. Go with me, if you will, to First Peter. To 1 Peter, the 5th chapter, please, in verse 8. Notice what Peter says. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, if someone told me that about anything, if someone came up to my door and knocked on it and said, Hey, There's a roaring lion around the neighborhood and if your kids are out in the street, they're going to get eaten. What am I going to do? I'm going to respond to that. Probably with some high-powered weapons. I don't want there to be a roaring lion roaming around my, my neighborhood going to eat my kids as they're walking to school or going to the park. I don't want that. 
Am I going to sit in my house and let somebody else do something about it? Well, if that's an option, sure, I'll take that option. But that's not the way that the spiritual life is. That's not the way that a faithful life is. And we see this is what we're talking about. This is a battle. Peter is implying here, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary is roaring, a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, and you and I have to do something about that. He's not saying hide in a corner. He's saying do something about it. Does it concern us when we read such passages that there are spiritual powers out there that are, that are scheming to work against us? If you found out someone was scheming against you, wouldn't you be upset? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you say, I'm going to do something about this? Or would you kind of just go, eh, eh, I don't care. Yeah. People can say what they want. <laughs> what a passive dead response and that's exactly what we read here and we see that we're not supposed to be doing it should concern us because these these powers they know everything they they know your desires they they know your tendencies and they're scheming to follow you around and look for you and stay right on your back so that you do follow those desires. They know your lusts. They know your desires. They know your weaknesses. They enlist those who are closest to you to influence you, weaken your resolve over time. And as the Bible says, as Jude says, make merchandise out of you. That's exactly what they're looking to do. They're in our minds and in, they're in the minds of others. That, that's a scary, sobering prospect. So we look around and how do we find those enemies? Well, they're modestly dressed and they're attractive. They write the scripts and the scenes for our favorite TV shows and our favorite movies that we go to watch. They write the lyrics of our favorite songs. They place the information on our computer webs so that we can find it easily. And if they don't think you're finding it easy enough, they'll give you a pop-up window. They'll pop a window up right in front of your face for you to click on. They know exactly what you're doing. Though, have you ever thought it was funny that while you're on the internet, all of a sudden a window pops up and it's something of interest to you, and you look at it and go, wow, that was lucky. No, that's not lucky. <laughs> They're recording every, every click of your finger. They're recording it. It's in a giant database. They know everything about you all over the web, and they're going to send you exactly what you want to take advantage of you. This is a battle of wits. And we have to ask ourselves the question, are we involved in that battle or not? Because we're fighting against Satan. And Satan has been destroying lives since Genesis 3. (laughs) You know how the car dealer has been in business since 1972? Well, he's been in business for 6,000 years. 
And he's got a monopoly, <laughs> a monopoly on the market of getting you to fall to your lust, your desires, your sin. And man, he is good at it. And he knows exactly what to do. Boy, that sounds disastrous, doesn't it? (laughs) That sounds like an ever-present danger, doesn't it? It also sounds like we better get with it, doesn't it? That's the key here. Yes, it sounds like all of those things... Because all of those things are screaming out to us, just like wisdom screams out, cries out in the street, in Proverbs of Solomon, just like that, to get with it. So all we got to know is how. And the Bible tells us exactly how. The Bible tells us it's all in your head. <laughs> it's all in your head, so fix it. Fix your mind. I want to tell my son a little bit. He went on a rant the other day. And uh, he sometimes doesn't like the fact that we check on him or make sure that he's safe and he's okay. We're, we're parents. That's what we do. And he goes, I could be out having sex. I could be out on drugs and being drunk all the time. I could be doing that. But I'm not. <laughs> And I, I just love to hear him go on those rants. I go to the back room and I pray after that. Thank you, God, for making him so angry about that. I'm so pleased when I hear that. I want them always to be angry about the fact that I worry that they're doing all of those things when they're not. Does that make sense? <laughs> That's what I love to hear. I love to hear that. Because that's the difference. Have you won the battle of your mind? Are you winning the battle of the mind? Because see, our tendency is to dwell on the sins that plague us. I know I'm a sinner and I do this and I feel so bad. No, no, no. Stop doing that. You're losing the war in your mind. You are being outwitted by Satan because you're dwelling on the sins that plague you. Oh, I've made so many mistakes. Who hasn't? It doesn't matter. Come to the Lord. Be a part of Jesus Christ. That's the key. I'm worried about the mistakes I'm making right now and the mistakes that I'll probably make later. If that's all that you're thinking about, then isn't that all that you're going to do? That's the key to what the Scriptures teach us. We dwell so much on sin that it's no wonder that it has it. We wallow in our own self-pity, in our own self-doubt, in our own self-destruction. You remember what Paul told the Romans? Look again with me in Romans 12. and I know you'll say, I've read this time and time again. Will even be very exaggerated, but I've read it a thousand times, right? In Romans 12, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Where does Paul say the problem is? In your head. It's all in your head. Yes, we read it. We may have even read that often. But did we notice what he was saying? He's talking about education there. Learn. He's talking about discernment. Test, he says. Look at, look at the, the beautiful words that he uses. Do not be conformed. Be transformed. Test. Discern. What is good and what is acceptable and what is, whoa, there's a word, perfect. Wait, wait, I can get this perfectly? You and me both. We can get this perfectly. The battle of the mind is about educating ourselves. Being discerners. We are to be spiritual learners. We're supposed to be spiritual researchers. We're supposed to be agents for glory. And the glory of God. Take a look at your life. What's affecting you? Paul says, whatever it is that's in your head, transform it. How do I do that? Quit listening to smutty music. Listen to hymns instead. If it's television, nasty TV show, if it's at the movie theater, spend that time instead, which is free, no ticket needed, and study your Bible. Instead. Replace what is bad and what is not acceptable with what is good and what is acceptable what's the will of God that we may glorify Him instead if it's your friends your associations spend more time with brethren or just stay alone if that isn't available anything's better than feeding the nasty things into your head Because that is where the battle is waged. How many times have you or I wanted to sin while I was singing praises to God? Did anybody sit here a while back and we're singing the songs and you go, boy, that just makes me want to kill somebody. Or boy, that makes me just want to go out and fornicate or take drugs. I love that song. It's my favorite heroine song. Nobody says that. Nobody thinks that way. Because praises to God does not engender such things. Praises to God do not engender such things. I'll get my English right eventually. But it just doesn't work that way. How many of us have wanted to sin while we're reading our Bible? Boy, look at Esau. Look at what he did. Boy, yeah, I can understand that. I'd give up my whole my wife for a, for a good cheeseburger. You know, no. Nobody says that. Nobody thinks that. Has anybody been enjoying Christian company? I go over to a brother or sister in Christ's house and I sit there and I enjoy their company. Am I thinking of sin? Am I thinking of danger? Am I thinking of, of crime? No. I'm thinking how wonderful it is to be here with them. How they're like just like my family. How my family's just like them. 
Why, if I died tomorrow, they'd be right there. That's the key. That's the battle. That's the win. Do we detect a pattern here? (laughs) Yes, we should. We should detect the pattern. And we should keep the pattern. Because we need to be told again and again, and we need to remember that it is all in our heads. Think back, if you can, just to the things we've been reading in uh, Proverbs. Think back to them and think about all the profound things that are said there and all the cautious warnings that Solomon is giving to his son, his beloved son. Think of all those things he's writing, all of those things he's saying. And then think of the danger for just a moment. Not just the the wonderful messages that can be drawn from that, but the real dangers that he's saying. You know, don't, don't, don't be lustful. Don't be greedy. Don't be mean. Don't be discompassionate. Forget about all of those things just for a second. And think about all the things that he is telling his son. Life is difficult. There's going to be temptation to lust. There's going to be temptation to be greedy. Think about all of those things. And then think about this. If I think of all the challenges that I read in Proverbs that Solomon is desperately trying to teach his son against, what if I took one verse out of the Bible? What if I memorized Matthew 6.19? One scripture out of the Bible to myself every single day. What if I thought about that lesson I learned this morning about the hollowness and the deception and the tantalization of wealth? How it's so tantalizing and so empty. And how about if every day, every moment of every day, this was my mantra, my repeated phrase in my head over and over again. What if I forgot about the whole rest of the Bible just to remember this one thing? Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. How much less uh, dependent and lustful for wealth would you and I be? If we just repeated that one Scripture to ourselves every day. That one Scripture is enough to defeat all that Solomon cautioned his son against regarding sinful wealth. And in that book that's very near each and every one of us, we have over 31,000 verses in our Bible that apply to every other situation in life. Just with that one verse, I could defeat all of those warnings that Solomon gave to his son about the greed and the wealth and the sinfulness and the danger of it. One verse. And God has given me over 31,000. Who has the advantage? Whose mind has the advantage? Who has all of the resources they need to outwit the devil? You and I. The unholy 
and the impure mind seeks to hold us down. It seeks to defeat us. Brethren and friends, let us seek then instead to overcome it, to outwit it, and to defeat it. Give away all of those things that cause the sins of our life and take in all of those things that cause everlasting life. Because the battle is in your head. It's in my head. That's where it's at. Control your mind tonight. If you have not been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, you're being fooled. You're being fooled to believe a lie. You're being fooled to do something other than what you should be doing. You're being outwitted by Satan. If you have been baptized into Christ, then you are still constantly being tempted, constantly being tried, constantly giving in to the sins that can defeat your everlasting soul. You are losing the battle of your mind. And Satan is outwitting you. Control your mind now. And don't wait another moment. If you have any need, whatever that need is, please let it be known while we stand together and while we sing.